We are in the journey of creating a better tomorrow, transforming the products that we offer as stimulants to the next adult generations, moving from tobacco to nicotine to beyond the nicotine. Products that are 95, 98, 99% less harmful than traditional cigarettes. I don't love technology, I love what we can do with technology. Sometimes an old piece of technology can do wonders, sometimes a new piece of technology can do nothing. And I think that's what people have to have in mind. I get happy by seeing other people happy. And I think if everybody has this value of taking care of each other, we just make this world a better world. Remember what you know, but remember what you don't know. Put those two things together and the best is going to come out. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Marina Bellini, who is the Chief Information Officer and the Chief Digital Officer at BAT. A very warm welcome, Marina. Thank you so much, Hendrik. Very, very good to be here with you today. Looking forward to this conversation. Marina, you have a degree from the Unicamp University in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and you started your career in 1994 as a consultant at PwC. Then you worked for more than 10 years at ABINBEF in Brazil and in Europe, Belgium, and where your last role was Global CIO and VP Global Business Services. After that, you were the CIO of Grupo Modelo in Mexico and the CIO for LATAM for PepsiCo. And now, since 2018, you're the Chief Information and Digital Officer at BAT out of London. So Marina, tell us a bit more about yourself, where you're from, what's your background, and how did you arrive in this position as CIDO? Sure, a pleasure. So I am, probably you can tell from my accent, Brazilian and Italian, born and raised in Brazil, a proud mom of two beautiful daughters, Carolina and Vittoria, Two little Americans. They were born when I was somewhere in the world in my, my assignment in the US. And uh, I did start my career as an economist uh, back in Brazil in PwC with finance. And a year into this you know, consulting journey, I got to work with technology. And I've been working with technology ever since in this continuous discovery. What can technology do for you, for your business, for your people? And uh, amazing journey. On learning, you know, one day after the other, and with the speed of change in technology lately, I just know how much I don't know, and I still have to learn in my life. So for three years, you're now at BAT. So, I mean, it's a it's a big company, big brand. Uh, but tell us a little bit more. Give us a bit of context. What is the company all about? Uh, how big is it? How many people? Revenue? Some some numbers? A bit of context, please. Perfect. So BAT, we are in the journey of creating a better tomorrow transforming the products that we offer as stimulants to the next adult generations, moving from tobacco to nicotine to beyond the nicotine, products that are of reduced harm to consumers, products that are 95, 98, 99% less harmful than traditional cigarettes. We operate in over 108 markets, over 55,000 uh, people. Uh, we are global headquarters here in London, where I moved with my family uh, just three years ago. And uh, we are in this transformation on creating the products that not necessarily the consumers are asking for, but it's definitely much better for them, for the people that choose not to uh, quit smoking. Big transformation in the last three years. When I came here, this was a very incipient business that we call the new categories, the reduced risk products. 
And mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're getting close to two billion in revenue, two billion in revenue in sterlings in a 26 billion revenue. One can argue, you know, it's it's 10 percent ish, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, imagine that this was nothing before. So we are in this journey of accelerating this transformation and making this a big part of our business. So we can have those reduced risk offers to our consumers. Okay. So a company full of change. I mean, not only because new customers and so on, but because the complete product range is about to change. So let's maybe first talk about the customer. Uh, so because, I mean, in changing an organization, the customer is key. So tell us a little bit what's the, what's the strategy of the, of the company and therefore the strategy of IT maybe as well around customer today. So the strategy of the company is, as I said, creating a better tomorrow, is bringing those reduced risk products to the consumers. But what research has shown us in the last few years is that it's very difficult to have this one solution that is going to be a replacement for cigarettes. From what we know from the consumers, you know, different tastes, different profiles in Asia to America, in Southern Europe to Northern Europe, in Africa to Latin America. So we believe in a multi-category strategy that we need a multitude of products that are going to be sparkling this acquisition of consumers migrating out of tobacco. So I can tell, for example, in Japan, is one of our big markets, already 50% of the revenue, 50% of the profit is coming from new categories. My home country, Brazil, zero. It's not yet yeah. legal to sell those products, unfortunately, uh, in that market. Uh, in the US, you know, vaping is a very growing category. And uh, if you go to the Nordics in Europe, Modern hour pouches is a very growing category. So what we know of the consumer is that we need this multitude of products and we are committed also to go beyond the nicotine. So we can have in the end this full range that is, you know, Asian, Latin, American, and, uh, you know, if it's male, female, if it's summer or winter, if it's when you are alone, we're in, in groups of people, that we can have a multitude of products that will allow for this converse, conversion to happen. And um, I think you ask, what is the role that technology and digital plays into that yep. transformation? And, um, you know, when I first came, it was a lot about, and still is, let's get to know the consumer, connect with the yep. consumer, helping this migration of journey and, and keeping there, you know, without going back to, to tobacco products. And this is, of course, front and center to our transformation. But what we learned very easily is that when you move from being one company that has three big global brands, basically one product that has been there for over a century, you are excelling in standardizing, in harmonizing, in leveraging scale. When we look to the new business that we are building, it's kind of the opposite of that. We need yeah. specific solutions, specific communication, a specific process, different production cycles, different partners. So technology comes to make this complexity a sophistication that we can deal with that it doesn't become overwhelming and we can still operate this big global company, but in a way that we go forward and fast and do not get lost in the diversity that this, this business is becoming in terms of consumers, in terms of customers, in terms of supply chain, in terms of employees, because we need different people, different processes across the globe. So the mission that we have in technology and digital is apply technology and new ways of working to deliver commercial value in an accelerated way. And that's a little bit of the story of the last three years and few years to go. Okay. Now, traditionally, um, your business was an indirect business, right? You had no direct contact with customers. 
I can imagine that that's changing and you want to get to know the customer much more intimate. So what are the, what are the new channels? What are the new ways of, of getting to know the, uh, the, the clients? Uh, absolutely. So first in the traditional you know, points of sales that, uh, that we do sell uh, tobacco products, we've been in the last three years going away from those customers that would be ultimately interacting with the consumers because in many places around the world you could not even communicate in the point of sales. So first you need to revamp that, you know, to be able to, in the physical world where the consumer is, talk to them in store. So we start revamping this that was tobacco, I think, you know, 50 years ago. And then we start creating, as you just said, channels that are directly connection with the consumers. So we have retail stores, vaping stores, we have uh, e-commerce, directly sales to the consumers. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the whole setup of our brands and the categories in social media, in the web, because again, we need to be where the consumers are. Remember, they are not necessarily looking for those products. In many of the cases, we still know that the population doesn't understand the alternative products that are there. So in the end, what we say is that we need to be where the consumers are directly, because now we can with new categories, but also indirectly in the physical world with our um, key partners. And the key role that digital has been playing in this transformation is making sure that we get out of this you know, segment of one type of consumer that will be behind one of the big tobacco brands to maybe eight different consumers that I'm going to get to hit a tobacco to 80 different segments to 800 different segments to eventually get to the segment of one that I know that consumers so well to get to the right offer at the right moment that would make the migration out of tobacco products. Okay, so that meant that you had to put in place retail systems, you had to put in place e-commerce systems, you had to put in place, I mean, social and search, uh, identification and, and, and collect data from that. So that's, that's been a big transformation on that side, right? Absolutely, and honestly, a very, a very engaging one and a different way of doing things in technology. Mm -hmm. So in the past, when we were implementing SAP, and we still need SAP, is <laughs> there is our backbone, we would spend a good amount of time, you know, months, if not years, designing a solution that I wanted to fit to 100 plus eight markets, you know, making it very robust. And then, you know, throughout whatever, three years, roll that solution out globally. Now, when it comes to consumers and in the overall new categories transformation, Think if I do that, <laughs> by the time that the solution is ready, the world has changed already. So the yeah. way we work today is with what we call the lead markets. We take a market that's leading the development of a certain category of reduced risk products. Again, Japan is an example. We develop in Japan a great way of engaging the consumer, learning the consumer in this case for heated tobacco. We make it successful there. We make a big conversion. This business gets to, you know, big size on new categories. Then we take that learning and we go to the other markets, from a lead market to land markets. So the role of the technology team is much more to help end markets build solutions that deliver value in loco immediately. And those solutions, when I'm building, I know they are not perfect to the next 20 or 40 markets, but they are 67% good. And by the time that they are ready, we already delivered a lot of value in one market. And then we go and adjust a little bit. So. We are getting out of this model of everything is about scale to what I call smart scale at speed. Mm -hmm. So 
on the external side, on the customer client facing side, new channels, e-commerce, retail, many, many things have changed and they were much more fragmented than, than they were before. I can also imagine that on the internal side, internally and in the supply chain and so on, many, many things have changed in the company as well, right? Oh, and still more to come on both sides, by the way. But I mean, a few few examples that are that are that I love are really, really, you know, close to how we are transforming this organization. Because if I need diversity out there with the consumers, I need to be prepared and flexible to deal that internally without having, you know, a 10x in our costs. Because in the end, the money and the resources that we have is to free up and invest in new products and consumer acquisition. So some some of the examples, Hendrik, that I I, I love to share one is we need now the capability that we call last mile delivery because I need to deliver directly to the consumers. It's a much different model than, you know, what we used to do on delivering to uh, uh, some, some hundreds of thousands of, of customers. We're talking about millions and eventually uh, uh, billions uh, to this category. So you have to think we need to deliver pizza in someone's house and we can do that for one, two pounds, you know, delivery cost. You get to a company like BAT and delivery cost is a little bit more than that, 10x to 100x because of the structure that we have, because of the fixed assets that we have. So what we've been doing, for example, in supply chain is experiment this rapid delivery model with companies that historically would not be partners of BAT. So this is one example. And then, yes, we can deliver products in one to two hours at the same cost that you would get the pizza uh, in your house. Another one is, imagine that you know, we are trying to predict all the time which products the consumers are going to engage with, how we're going to be adapting to the transformation. But guess what? We don't get that much right because it's a journey mm -hmm. of education and feeding back to our marketing teams. So we need to be able to move product around very quickly and making sure that when the demand moves from A to B, that we are there in B to deliver to the consumer. So one thing that I think we, we, we saw recently in the, in the news was the blockage of the Suez Canal. And, you know, the world stopped and products could not move around. We've been working with a sensing technology that uh, allows us to sense outside our systems what is going to impact our supply chain in the minutes, in the hours to come. So we were one of the first few companies to know that this was happening at the hour and be able to shift completely the distribution of our products without, in the end, adapting and impacting the service level to the customers and to the consumers. So bringing technology, I mean, I love IoT, but not because I love IoT, it's because we love what we can do with IoT. We love what we can do with APIs. We love what we can do with the different pieces of technology to make, in this case, our supply chain much more flexible, still in a very manageable cost and improving the service level that we bring to the organization. So it's the concept of a big virtual control tower that we can mm -hmm. sense what's happening in the external world in a way that internal to BAT, we can move things much faster and much more efficiently. Okay. Now you're collecting much more data than, than before and, and, through all the different channels, public data, uh, supply chain data, and so on and so on. So, um, so that means that you can uh, work on that, that you can get more knowledge out of that, that you can better understand the customer and, and do the micro segmentation and go to segment of one. Talk us a little bit through that journey. Where are you on the, on the advanced analytics uh, journey uh, in, in mastering the data and getting the best out of it? 
Yeah, so big, big, big progress in the last two years. We just did a review recently on what have we done and still need to do on data analytics. And I think it's amazing what we managed to do in a short period of time. So two years ago, we, we realized that the basic data that we had under our control very well, by the way, and very efficient was the backbone SAP data. Good. Some companies are not there, but of course not good enough. This would represent in the way we calculated 12-13% of the potential data that we could have in the organization. So we got alignment from the rest of my colleagues in the management board that we would have an enterprise data platform that every piece of data would sit there. Where we are now, 50%. Still a long way to go, but we start from a low base. And uh, we don't think why we need data in our database. We think we know that we need. First, to answer some questions that we have, but more importantly, to have data with AI, with AML, giving insights that we didn't ask for, <laughs> giving combinations and correlations of data that, again, you don't ask the machine, but machine tells you. So what we've been doing, again, working with specific markets, and to begin with, I think no different than other global organizations, the end markets were saying, I'm not going to put my data in this global thing. Global is always expensive. Global is always slow. And in the end, you know, you're going to look to my data before I prepare a beautiful PowerPoint presentation to you. So we had the end markets a little bit reluctant to come into this journey. No surprising. Uh, I think they were right. That used to be, you know, expensive, slow, and not necessarily adding value and more creating questions for them. But uh, leveraging cloud for sure and leveraging Agile, we were able to do things that are on average 20 to 25% less expensive than the local data warehouses that we used to have in the organization. And again, when I de develop one algorithm, I don't need to develop this 180 times. I develop with the first market, create a great insight, and then we go for it. So the first correlation that we did is here uh, in the UK that we brought data from supply chain, from sales, from marketing, from consumer care, from finance, from HR, all together and say, how can I increase the engagement on the new categories product. And the correlation of, you know, a consumer care data, social listing data with a supply chain service level, with, you know, sales performance, with compensation to my sales team, with the financials and the profit, gave really, really, really good information that now we create a good problem. We have to restructure our marketing organization because our marketing organization would be working on campaigns and actions for the next six months or for the next three months the most. And now we're talking about that on a weekly basis, we have this cadence yeah. that the insights are informing and reinforming. As odd, you grow market share, you grow volume, you grow profitability. Then the other markets, they raise their hands and say, I want the same. So instead of us pushing from the center to go for a global approach on data and analytics, you create value with a market, the other markets ask more for it. And the problem that we have today is a good one. There are more markets wanted to come into the platform than the setup that you have in place to be able to absorb. So I love those types of problems. Now, Marina, you were brought in to this company to, to create change, I can imagine. That's, that's typically why they, uh, these companies hire a, a top CIO. Um, when you arrived and, and, and how you compare it with today, was the, the C-level, the board, where they're completely on, on board with digital, did they have a clear view on where they were going or did you have to change that as well? I mean, did you also have to work on, on, on that level and, and create awareness for the value and the importance of, of data and digital? 
I have no doubt that there was support, but I think people mm -hmm. didn't know exactly what they were supporting. <laughs> so yeah, digital had to be part of the transformation of this organization, but mm -hmm. what does it mean? So I think I found more questions than, than answers. I asked yeah. the definition for people and what do you mean by digital and what do you think digital should be for BAT? And you know, from A to Z, I got all kinds of answers that you can think of that this is about mm -hmm. robotics, this is about social media, this is about, you know, analytics. All the answers, to be very honest, were right, but they were very incomplete. So technology in BAT, I'm very grateful for what I inherited from my predecessor, a very well-run global SAP system, efficient, stable, a global organization with lined up standards and joint execution. So first, my mission was do not mess this up because this is still important for the organization. But let's create many capabilities that we didn't have in BAT. And not because, you know, someone was not doing what they should do, because the company didn't need those capabilities when we were this one global products, few global brands, standardization all over. So let's create this capability that the new BAT, the BAT of a better tomorrow now needs. So the, the first job that I had was to align what do we mean by going through a digital transformation, having digital play an important role in building the BAT of the future, being the enterprise of the future, building uh, the better tomorrow. So we, I have set up what we call a digital committee. It's a subset of the management board with the mm -hmm. CEO, my boss, and several of my colleagues. And we define our digital KPIs. That in fact, they're not really digital KPIs, they're business KPIs, but we yeah. know that they, if enabled by digital, they're gonna move much faster. Of course, e-commerce revenue is one of them, but also, Demand for cost accuracy is another one because leveraging technology, we know we can do much better. And then we talk about, you know, digital innovation, uh, proofs of concepts and experimentation of new technology and the value of it. So it's a series of KPIs that uh, they are not perfect. And I don't mean that they cover everything that digital means, but I think uh, I learned this from other people, right? What gets measured gets done. So we uh, gets managed. So what I think is very important in this transformation is that we keep opening gaps. We keep finding parts of the organization that we are not leveraging digital as much as we should. And then we look to that, I want this piece of the business to be better. And you start exploring, how can you bring change to, to transform and bring the, the results to the organization? So I think the transformation of the last three years has been, let's align every year on what are the key priorities for the organization. And then let's take the homework on finding technology and data that can help deliver on those priorities. But let's do that in a way that's not, you know, from the center to everybody, but it's from the winning markets to everybody with good leverage, but not 300% leverage, but with a lot of speed and learning. So the work of those last three years have been a joint partnership on bringing the technology and the digital function to be embedded in the rest of BAT to make sure that our people do understand the business deeply so they can connect the technology with the business case that we're going after. Another very important and I think interesting subject, especially in, in the case of BAT, is sustainability. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is the, the, the BAT strategy on sustainability and, and what is your strategy for digital sustainability? Yeah, so of course, uh, front and center. The biggest and most important KPI that we have on sustainability is the number of consumers in reduced risk products. So we closed the year with over uh, 12 million consumers in reduced risk products, and that's a KPI front and center to our transformation. 
the more we can bring consumers into reduced risk products, the better an impact that we have for this society. But not only, of course, we are looking for carbon neutrality. Also, we are looking for reducing uh, the plastic um, without uh, uh, reuse. And then we look to the traditional uh, uh, KPIs that would say other industries also looking into how we are impacting the different elements of this society. In technology specifically, we are looking to green energy and how much of how we power our data centers are you know, coming from green energy. And this is great progress in the organization also. But basic things on, we are also trying to reduce you know, paper. <laughs> I think uh, the, the, the pandemic has helped a little bit on that one, but we were already on that journey that we need to be you know, paperless. And um, ESG we know is also about what we do for, for the people. So developing talent within uh, the organization has been a key priority for BAT. First and foremost, in the last uh, few months of pandemic, you know, making sure that people are safe and healthy. But that's that, you know, doesn't matter if you're working from home, if you are in the office, if you are in the part of the old business of VAT, if you're part of the new business of VAT, that you're getting the chance to develop yourself. And that's that's a machine of talent development here in this organization. Again, with over 180 markets with four categories and growing people have the chance to develop themselves in many different lives of lines of business. And you end up finding people that have been in BAT for over 30 years, and um, you find that they have developed themselves as if they would have changed company, you know, five, six times in their lifetime. And I think this is great because we need to get right for the consumers, we need to get right for the environment, but we also need to get right for our people. Now you mentioned your data centers, that you're making them more green and using green energy and so on. Uh, let's talk a bit about infrastructure. And, and so are you, do you have a, a clear cloud strategy? Is that an important move for you? And is that also part of, of, of being more sustainable? Is cloud more green than your own data centers? Absolutely, absolutely. Cloud is greener. Our strategy is cloud first, but it's also mm -hmm. multi-cloud strategy. So we believe that this brings you know, speed and capabilities because cloud is way beyond storage, we know is the capabilities and the smartness that you bring into the data that you are processing. So great journey uh, in the last few years, we already have over 70% of our loads in the cloud and, uh, and continue growing. I think this is absolutely the right way to go because it brings the flexibility and speed in the business for the overall business transformation, not for technology ourselves, but for enabling this, you know, I have a big campaign to, to run in the next uh, week I mean, I don't need to scale up and then, you know, stay with that infrastructure forever when I'm not running that campaign. And the same thing, you know, for our supply chain, if you're running the models on how we're planning uh, the months to come, I can scale up, do the, the, the modeling and then, you know, scale down very easily. So this business, I have no doubt that we're going to get to better tomorrow. They're going to get the, the huge percentage of our revenue behind the reduced risk product products. But this is not a linear journey because we are learning as we go. So the assumption is that I need to be able to test something, test a process, yeah. test a piece of technology. It works great, it doesn't, I just move on. And if I make everything, you know, fixed capital in the PNL, that's not gonna be a good one. So cloud is the enabler for me on making sure that when we are spending money behind technology is the one delivering value. If not, I move to the next experiment and I don't stay with that asset having the PNL that I have to depreciate for five to 10 years. 
Now, the company is undergoing a massive change. So that also means that it needs to be supported by massive digital change. And that's what, what you're doing. But in order to be able to be very successful at that, you need a very, very strong team. So let's talk about your IT and, and, and digital team. And let's maybe start a, a bit with the big picture. How big is your team, internals, externals, and how is it organized today? Yeah, so we are internally uh, around 3,000 people. And mm -hmm. externally, you can say a 2, 3x of that. So we leverage a lot uh, external partners for application mm -hmm. support, application development, infrastructure management. Um, but we do believe that we have to have a set of capabilities inside the organization. We do operate in seven global hubs. So okay. we have two hubs in, in Asia Pacific, Middle East, in Pakistan and in Malaysia. We have two hubs in Europe, Poland and Romania. And we have three hubs in America, Costa Rica, Mexico, and a small one cyber related in the US. And the way we see is that each, each of those hubs from the different regions, they are a backup of each other. And the, real, the reason of existing of the hubs is if I can do something for more than one market out of a location, I do out of the hub. So it's to leverage the scale and to invest in fewer locations to build capabilities on what are the products that we want to offer to the vast majority of our markets. Then I have you know, the second piece of this, this team, I call the people that are in the end markets, that are in the business units. And those are people that do know a lot about technology and digital, but more importantly, know a lot of our business. So they're the ones that are going to take a solution 60, 70% ready from the hubs and adjust you know, whatever is missing to make the maximum value realization in that end market. They are the ones that are going to come to the hubs and say something is missing in this area because you know, I see this coming here with my customers and my consumers. And we do have a small team here in London, in our global headquarters, that is really working on strategy and partnerships with all the global functions uh, of BAT. Okay. Now, you, you said that you uh, need to uh, scale smart at speed. Uh, so being agile, being fast, uh, being real-time almost is very, very important. So let's talk a little bit. Where are you today in your journey to become agile and, and to run your IT organization as an agile organization? Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, and um, I mean, our ambition, it is by 2025, be 90% agile in BAT, not in the okay. IT organization. So this is one of the KPIs that we measure in the Digicom, and we want the organization mm -hmm. to be agile, to be value-centric, to be product-oriented. So in the first few years, couple of years, the transformation was in IT. We said, we are going to pilot agile. So from whatever, 5% because someone was doing here and there, to today is over 60% inside my organization running full Agile and growing by the end of this year should be around 80%. And then we started last year, Hendrik, bringing the rest of the organization this journey because I think that's where the real value you know, gets unlocked. So we already have 10% to, to 15% of the organization looking to a market launch, looking to a new supply chain setup, looking to non-IT related initiatives and say, how do I run this Agile? So this is crucial for us. Um, a big learning, I must say, because first people put Agile in a technology box and think it just belongs there and not to the rest of the organization. And uh, this idea that, you know, you're going to have a sprint, one, two, three. And we have, you know, a pretty clear North Star, but we don't know exactly 
how the end game will look like because that's the definition yeah. right that you build and you haste as you go has been something culturally very very challenging to bring to BAT because people like to say you know again when we were implementing SAP when we were consolidating the combustible brands we would make a four-year plan and execute this to the coma because you knew everything that was going to happen in the journey and you love this clarity this exact clarity on what the future looks like when you go agile it's very different so I think the, the cultural shift is, is probably harder than the methodology shift that you, you need to feel comfortable that you're going to take many steps with a clear North Star, but not a clear view of the end product. Uh, and I hope that this feeds back to how we are building the products to the consumers. Ultimately, I think this helps the, the journey of the transformation of our products themselves. Now, Marina, I believe this is the best time ever to be a CIO and a, and, and a CIO, CDO in, in a large organization because digital is so important. And so it's a crucial role to reinvent the, the business that, that, that you put in place the best possible digital strategy. And also, because Agile was born in IT, it's a, I mean, one of the first time that the working method, such an important working method is coming out of IT and now spilling over into the rest of, of the organization. So let's talk a little bit, a bit about your fundamental role as a CIO. How does, has this changed? When you arrived three years ago, and if you look at it today, how has your role changed and how do you see your role changing in the future? And it's a good point. So when I arrived, I was not sitting in the management board. So that's a big change, you know, be having a seat at the table and, and discussing like any other function and line of business, uh, the strategy of crucial. the organization. Yeah. And so I think this is a crucial uh, change that has happened and, and kudos to the former CEO and, and Jack, the current CEO that they both took that decision to, to make it work for, for the group. And uh, I think I, I did come, you know, a lot looking to what are the technologies that we can bring to this organization to help the transformation in consumers, in customer, in supply chain, in finance, in HR. And I still do that. But I would say today, probably half of my time is, is on transforming ways of working and cultural transformation. Because to get the true value and exponential value and acceleration of this transformation, it is, you know, the same important to make a piece of technology connect to another one, a piece of data connect to another one. But how we approach back to what we just discussed on, you know, being open to experimentation, being open to learning, not wanting perfection from stepping one, seeing the learnings as a positive thing and not as a negative thing. So, I mean, today sitting in the management board, helping shape the strategy of the organization um, is something that is not about me as a person, it's about me as an organization. So in the end, my entire organization also has a seat at the table today in the different functions, in the different regions. So if you would see me uh, uh, three years ago, I was leading a global technology organization where everybody would be reporting to me and, mm -hmm. you know, fo following the, the, you know, the directions of what technology is like, what I did um, a year and a half ago, I took more than half of the organization and said, now you don't report to me anymore. I want you to report into the function. I want you to report into the business units. I want you to report into the regions because I want everybody else to feel as much as I feel responsible for the digital transformation. I don't own it less because people are not reporting to me, but now I have more people co-owning this transformation. So it's a big shift. Um, that uh, some consider a risky one because they also, what's going to happen? Now you don't decide technology anymore. And, you know, whoever wants will be deciding. 
not really. You know, I, I decide what, but for me, the when has to be decided by the business units. That they say, now is the right moment to do this. And I don't have a problem if it's for one market, the right moment is, you know, January this year. And for another market, the right moment is December two years later. Because the way the business is evolving in new categories, as I said, is not linear. It's very different from one market to the other. So I think that's probably the biggest shift that now we belong to the rest of the organization in a way that probably we didn't for many years, for good reasons again, because the name of the game was standardized technology, stabilize and take cost out. So give me the line and I make it happen. Now it's not about that, it's help transform the business. So you need to be embedded, starting from myself, but the entire organization with the rest of the VAT business. Yeah. Now you have a huge IT organization, uh, around 10,000 people, let's say internal and, and, and external. So, or more than that. So that means that you also have the scale to put in innovation programs and, and to work on the methodologies and, and the best ways to innovate in, uh, in this company, because that's key. I mean, there's, I can imagine a lot of product innovation going on, but also process innovation, technology innovation is, is of course key in changing and, and reorganizing the, the company. So can you talk a little bit about how you have set up innovation in uh, in your team and in your company. Yes, yeah, so very very passionate topic for me because we didn't have that. So my first year in VAT, traveling across many markets, trying to to get to know the people and the business. I mean, I would find a piece of technology, VR. Seven different markets were experimenting. One did not know what the other was doing. Then I would find someone doing something on IoT, the same thing. So the pattern was there that you know, things were being experimented in one place or another, but there was no leverage across the organization and basically nothing was really being scaled up other than very traditional technologies. So what has been put in place is a team of digital innovation, but it's a team of two people, <laughs> someone sitting here in London, someone sitting in the Silicon Valley, and they are experts on innovation process. They also know a lot of you know, cool technology and cool startups and have connections with big tech, but more importantly, they are process innovation experts. So what we've been doing is what we call digital immersions, where we take a leadership team and uh, we introduce them to venture capitalists, we introduce them to startups, and then you know we go through a Shark Tank uh, approach that the startups are pitching their ideas to this leadership team based on the briefing that they, they know what are the challenges of that business unit is, and they're gonna pick two, three, four that they're gonna run pilot on. But guess what? If the pilots are successful or not successful, we have a crowdsourcing collaboration platform that every single piece of information sits there. So next person that has a similar business problem or you know is looking to an opportunity in the market, instead of starting from scratch, you look into that database. So this team is you know scouting ideas, but it's also spreading the word out there on what are the challenges that BAT are working on. So then potentially the partners can shape their ideas to better fit to BAT. So last year, I mean, year one of this process running uh, completely, we did over 20 digital immersions and we had 80% of the senior leadership of the organization, even, you know, in pandemic, people staying more at home, being able to join um, remotely those sessions and deliver you know, millions of millions of, of benefits on year one. So this year we are get to 100% of the leadership and start going to lowest levels in the organization. 
I just run recently the same process with the management board, with my boss and my my colleagues in the board, because mm -hmm. I think you know it's about understanding how this process uh, work, and we treat this as a portfolio of ideas, as you know uh, a venture capitalist would treat. We know that we are at as we speak, probably we are doing POC in thirty different things somewhere mm -hmm. in the globe, and I know that that portfolio is going to pay off. But inside that portfolio, probably more than half of the ideas are going to go nowhere. So early stages, year two of the digital innovation uh, process, but very excited. And again, we plan to do, you know, another 20 this year. We had to reshuffle and rethink because, you know, 40 groups want to do it. So they see the results elsewhere. And then, you know, I don't need to mandate. People are asking for those events to be running and, and taking it. And we say, right, the fun is not running a digital immersion. The hard work is running the proofs of concepts, you know, yep. to the end and fast to learn the good and the bad and, and just move on. And what are the most promising uh, POCs that are running today? Which one are closest to your heart? Where do you see the, the biggest uh, uh, upside? Yeah, I think uh, close to my heart is one that we are running in one of our key markets on bringing a lot of different data sets to understand what makes a consumer migrate out of uh, uh, tobacco products to reduce risky products. Mm -hmm. And um, the early signs are pretty interesting because we know that two thirds of the consumers that are using reduced risk products, they still smoke, they just smoke less. It's already better for one health, but it's not what we would like and not what we suggest. Ultimately, of course, if you want you know, quit smoking, that's what's best for you. But if you don't, migrate fully to reduce risky products. What do we are seeing in this POC? is that uh, we used to talk, we call those consumers polyusers because they use different products. And we thought that this is a little bit, you know, in the morning, maybe you are walking to the office, you can have a cigarette. When you get to the tube, you know, you're gonna have a pouch. When you are in the office, you are allowed to vape. So the idea of polyusers was a journey throughout the day. What data is showing is not really like that. It's different days people go for different choices. So imagine how much this can inform us on how better perform the products, how better communicate to the consumers. So this is one POC that I love. And the way we are doing is really bringing so many data together that without powerful technology, we would never be able to do. So I really, 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 really uh, like this one. And then I, I have another one that one of the big challenges in our industry is illicit uh, trade. So the biggest competitor are you know, illicit uh, cigarettes. And um, we are finding with a drone uh, technology, how can we map and understand where this tobacco is coming from and eventually where, where the feed of the listed industries is, is feeding to. Uh, and again, in all transparency, I don't know if those two POCs are gonna be successful or not, but I know what I are learning by doing those POCs is already making you know, the, the people all over the business to think differently and um, you, you really find insights that prove that assumptions that you had and beliefs on how exactly the consumers behave or exactly, the, you know, in this case, illustrate behaves is not really, right? So you get the nuances, you get the real insights by powerful technology. So exciting, more to come. Yeah. Now you run a huge organization, so managing that in, in, in a very precise and optimal way is very important. So let's talk a little bit about your management style. What, what is your secret of success? How do you create uh, successful teams? How do you attract the right people and grow them and make them successful? 
So I don't know if I have a successful style, but I have a style. So I, I mean, I, I cannot have people like myself in my team. Uh, I mean, I imagine two marinas, but I think, you know, diversity is really, really, really important. So my team, we are 13 different nationalities, basically, you know, each person's from a different uh, 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 nationality. People that have amazing careers in BAT, people that came from outside, people that came from outside from different industries. So I do believe uh, deeply that, you know, if you're going to serve a multitude of consumers, you need to have big representation inside your organization because otherwise you're never going to get it, what you really need yep. to do. So that's one of the things in my 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 way of building, building teams. Um, I try to be very connected with, you know, the, the organization as a whole. So I write a weekly blog <laughs> since, since I joined BAT and people thought that I was going to stop when I joined the board because it had to be a little bit more formal. And I said, I'm sorry, I won't because I do believe that information is power. The more people know what's happening across the organization, in the outside world, how decisions are being taken, of course, nothing confidential. I think the better everybody of those 55,000 people uh, in BAT, over 10,000 people in IDT, internal and external, and uh, they're going to be able to perform their job better. So I do believe that giving people information and context, because, you know, giving directions is not really my job, right? I cannot direct 55,000 people better than each of them can do to themselves. They know their job better than me for sure, right? Yep. But if I can help contextualize and explain where we are coming from, where we are, where we are going and the rationale, I think this is a very important thing to, to do for, for the people. And ultimately, I, I, I always tell people, you know, if you are asked to do something directly for me or someone tells you, you know, Marina asked that and you don't understand, there are three options. You know, one, you don't understand, just ask my questions and you're gonna understand. Second option is, I never said that because people tend to say, do that because the boss told you to do. But third option is that I said that and I'm wrong. And then you need to tell me that I'm wrong. Because again, in the end, I do believe that each individual in each of the rules are the best position to decide how to make that rule excel and be a great contribution to the rest of the transformation. Yeah. Marina, you shared that you, in your team, you already have 13 different nationalities, people from around the globe that work together. So, so how important is diversity and how important is inclusion uh, for you? Yeah, I think from what I said, you know, I hope it's pretty clear that diversity is very important. But uh, I learned a few days, a few years ago from a colleague that we shouldn't say diversity and inclusion. We should say inclusion and diversity. And, and I like the way, you know, it was put, because if you don't have an environment where people feel included, feel they can be the real selves, you can have a lot of diversity in the statistic, but that doesn't come out because people always try to behave and to fit into a profile of the organization. So we've been doing a lot of training on unconscious bias, you know, training on language that, you know, you think it's okay, but someone else in another country or another uh, age group would understand differently. So in BAT and in my former organizations, always, you know, driving and looking to diverse KPIs has been constant. But I think in the last few years, I became more conscious of the importance of driving inclusion. Because if you have an inclusive environment, I think by definition, you know, diversity will feel attracted to, to you and is going to come and join you. So I think that's my, my big, I would say, aha moment. And I'm trying to put this in practice in the last couple of years. Now, being a very 
successful manager, of course, is important in, in, in your role, but also being a very strong leader is, is, is very important. So leadership and leadership style is, 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 is key of being a successful CIO, CDO in a large corporate like BAT. So what kind of leader are you? What is your leadership style? And what do you think people around you will say about your leadership style when you're not around? I think they say to me also, <laughs> not just when I'm not around. Um, I, I heard this once uh, from a great guy that worked with me in, in ABI. Um, you are the toughest and the most caring job uh, leader one can have. Um, mm -hmm. Because I will always be raising the bar. I will always be finding what else can we do. Uh, but at the same time, I do care. I do care a lot about people as individuals, as professionals and, uh, you know, partners. And I, I do think that, you know, we don't have a professional and a personal life. We have a life. And uh, I, I believe the more we make this, this better for everybody, the better people are going to, you know, perform and be happier because in the end, uh, with happiness, everything else, you know, becomes, uh, becomes much easier. Okay, now you're clearly a people person. Eh? And, and so you also shared with us that uh, your MBTI, your Myers-Briggs personality um, type, uh, and that is that you are an ENFP, also known as a campaigner. And campaigners are people that are extroverted, intuitive, strong on the feeling side, and have prospecting personality traits. So these are people that embrace big ideas and actions that reflect their sense of hope and goodwill towards other, others and have a vibrant energy that can flow in many, many directions. That's a nice description, right? <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> Probably there is a bad side to that. <laughs> well, let's first talk about the good side. So people with your personality uh, type, their strengths are that they're uh, typically curious, that they are observant, energetic, enthusiastic. They're excellent communicators. They know how to relax and they are typically very popular and friendly. Does that completely fit the bill? Is that, is that you? <laughs> I don't think I'm very popular. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I really like to be around people, but not about around everybody and, you know, be friends to everybody. I, I, I definitely have an extrovert side, but also an introvert mm -hmm. side, I think. Uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna be the one to be friends to everybody, but I'm gonna have good friends and many, many good friends. Okay, and you know how to relax? What, what, what is your favorite <laughs> way to relax? And, and because I can imagine that you do, do long days and long weeks, so, so what's your way to relax? It's a good question. Some people think that I don't, just because I speak fast and I walk fast. But mm -hmm. when I'm talking fast and walking fast, I can be very relaxed. So I, I do relax spending time with my kids, my family and my friends, you know, doing whatever they want. Uh, for me, being with them is uh, is relaxing. That's something that people say, but you never say what you want. Is that because I don't really doesn't really matter what I want as long as I am with the people that matter. I'm okay. I, I can do things and I can you know watch TV series that I really don't like, but my girls do, and that's that's really fun for me and and that's okay. Um, I love running. That's the one thing that I do. You know, by myself alone, and I can run one hour, an hour and a half, and just like. My head goes nowhere with, you know, a good, uh, good uh, Brazilian song uh, in my, in my, in my ears. Um, I love cooking. Not that I cook very well, but I, I can spend, you know, few hours uh, cooking and preparing a good lunch or dinner for, for family and friends, and that uh, um, helps me 
and relax. Uh, if I'm not working, probably the music is on, you know, around me. I, I love music. Um, I mean, most of my childhood friends are amazing musicians. And um, this is something that is just, it's just good memories all the time. So it's very difficult to, you to come and see me if not at work and music is not on. And um, that for me is, is this secret constant relaxation um, that I have. My list is big, I think, Hendrik. Man, many things relax me. <laughs> Well, I mean, you have a, you have, a, I mean, you have Brazilian uh, blood in you, so I, I can imagine that's where the music comes from. I mean, Brazil is full of music. You have Italian blood running into you. That's where maybe the food comes from, and and uh, and, and and family is of course. I mean, you're very Latin, so your family is of course very important as well, right? So every coin has an as 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 a backside as well, right? Um, and so people with your personality, sometimes they have the following weaknesses. People can be, have poor practical skills, sometimes find it difficult to focus. They tend to overthink uh, things. They sometimes get stressed easily, sometimes too emotional or, and sometimes too, too independent, independent to a fault. I mean, you're not perfect, nobody's perfect, but to have a role like yours, you must overcome your weaknesses. So which of these do you relate to and how have you developed in these areas? I mean, I, I do feel a lot, right? So I'm very, very emotional. And it so when things don't go right for someone or a process, uh, you know, don't tell me it's just work because I'll feel about it, right? I, I, I feel about stuff uh, and uh, I take mm -hmm. things very, you know, close to my heart and, and personal. And so I think what, what I learned throughout the years is I, I don't think I will stop myself, you know, from feeling <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's just uh, that's just me. Uh, but but is it's being able to talk to other people about it, you know, just to see if it, it goes away a little bit faster. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't know if someone is not happy about, uh, you know, a piece of work that uh, that she did and didn't get the results and the person, you know, is not feeling confident. Oh, that, that devastates me because I don't want people not feeling well. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but, but that happens, you know, when you give challenge to people and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but then, okay, let's talk about it, right? Maybe 30 years ago, I would be suffering about it. Now I learned to talk about it. So I don't think I will ever learn not to feel. But uh, I, I learned with, with a good uh, support network to, to talk about it. I think that's that's one of the things that, um, uh, that you said. And... Um, I think uh, on, on focus, I think I, I, I can, you know, think 30 things at the same time, but I learned over the years that uh, that doesn't help. So I tend to do much better, you know, focus stuff nowadays. Uh, I, you know, not, not holding my phone, you know, not uh, trying to, to do three things, four things at the same time. I policy myself. If I see that I'm starting, you know, multitask in a minute, I say I can multitask in a day, I cannot multitask in a minute. So. I've been developing that because honestly, you know, it makes me do things better and uh, it's better for the people surrounding me also. So I, I just have to continuously practicing. And, you know, from time to time, my husband say, didn't you plan too much for this afternoon? I said, yes, you're right. That's the old me. Um, so again, having having good support networks on the things that you are not that good about uh, just just helps. Right. We, we need people around us helping us get better. And uh, People that I, I trust, you know, they, they just have a blank check that they, they can talk about it all the time and just remind me on what I need to do better.
you have a high level of energy, Marina. That's very clear. You're very driven, uh, which is super. But in the core, what is it that drives you in your work and your life? What is it that really makes you happy? <laughs> I did another test a few years ago, the, the Hogan test. And um, it, it came out that uh, the, 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 the person that was running the test said they've never seen someone this altruist. And uh, that doesn't really happen in, in the business world. And I, I, think, I think that explains my energy. I, I get happy by seeing other people happy. I really, really get happy by seeing, you know, the business thrive. Um, if eventually that's going to be good for me and for my career, you know, 10 steps down the road it may come. But my energy comes from when I see that there's a huge opportunity for someone to be better, to be happier, for the business to perform better. That really, really gives me endless energy because, you know, you, you can see the payoff in someone else. And that, that's beautiful. Now, let's go one. This is a leadership deep dive interview. So let's go uh, <laughs> one uh, level deeper and let's let's talk about your core values. Uh, and maybe a good way to talk about them is you have uh, shared that you have two beautiful daughters. What are the values that you're passing on to them? With which values do you want to see them grow up? Yeah. Oh. I mean, fa family, you know, uh, it's it's very, very important and we all need to be committed to, to, to family. We are a very religious family also. So, you know, we, we do pray together every day. Um, and uh, I want them to be, you know, honest and happy, but also to make others, you know, honest and happy. I think we are all here to, to do something to, to the others. And I want them to also take this with them. I think they do already. <laughs> amazing, amazing kids that, uh, you know, we, we always going to talk about how they feel, but how others feel also. And I think if everybody has this value of taking care of each other, we just make this world a better world. Now, in your life, I'm sure you had very interesting people around you that you learned a lot from, uh, or maybe some very important mentors. So, so who are your mentors? Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that you uh, learned important things from? And can you give a couple of examples, maybe? Oh, many, <laughs> many. So dif difficult to pick because I, I think people are just so, so, I mean, uh, generous with their, their time and, and energy towards me throughout my life, but, but, but maybe, you know, two people in my personal life and one people in my professional life. My personal life, no doubt, you know, my, my mom's mom, my grandmother and my mom, you know, two amazing examples of my life. My grandmother, um, uh, her husband, my grandfather passed away when my mom was four or five years old wow. in a small town in Brazil. She was a teacher. He, he used to run a farm. And then from one day to the other, 1940-something, you know, you are a woman that needs to be independent and run a business. So she was the first woman to have a car <laughs> in, in this town, you know, 70-something uh, years ago. So she was always this, uh, you know, and she remained a teacher for the rest of her life, but also took care of a business and, you know, raised an amazing child that, that, that is my mom. So I, I, I just think that she had this, this the thing of, you know, always welcoming people in the classroom, welcoming people, in her life and the farm and yeah I, I, I think I learned that from from her on mm -hmm. taking care of, of the others and and my mom you know single single child uh, I mean full of um, full of qualities was an amazing ballerina was also an amazing uh, teacher could speak you know 10 different uh, uh, languages wow. 
again, teaching people throughout her life and make, making good for others. Uh, I think it's just amazing at the same time raising three kids um, and, um, and being involved, you know, in the, in the, in the political uh, process of the city, trying to make the city better and, you know, trying to create and support artists across, you know, different, uh, different fields. So, I mean, they, they are for me amazing inspirations for, for my life because I, I saw how much they always gave to others throughout their life and, um, yeah, really, really made the world better. Um, but many more. So, uh, again, I'm very, very lucky on the people that I have around me. Okay. And, and <laughs> on, professional, on professional level, who, are the, who, who is the most important mentor for you in your professional life? So m many people, uh, very, very important throughout my professional life. There's one that I have not just, you know, high in importance, but very close to my heart. Where my first leader in PwC, first company I worked for after college and internships, Leopoldo Barros. Um, and, uh, you know, me joining consultancy fresh out of college. You don't really, you know, know much. But uh, after one month's training, you're sent to a company to be an expert <laughs> and help them, you know, redesign their business, not because you know their business better than you, but because you have good thinking process. So giving me the confidence um, not to ever say, you know, something that I know that I don't really know, but uh, going back to what I know and how this mix of knowing and learning can always help you in any situation of your life. So it was this big, big learning that he took me by hands. And, you know, I don't know, I felt not prepared to be a consultant, uh, you know, to business people. And he said, you have things that they don't have. They have things that you don't have. You know, always think about what you know and what you don't know. And those two things are important. It's not important just to know what you don't know or what you know. So uh, an amazing leader. Now, Marina, you have lived in, across the world. You were born in Brazil, you lived in Belgium, now you live in London, you lived in US, maybe other places. So really a citizen of the world. Now the important question, of course, is which was for you the best country to live in? <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> I'm just so lucky. I only live in amazing places. I lived also in Norway and, and in Mexico. So I love them all. Yeah. And I think uh, what I learned from my parents that were, were, were expats, you know, when, when my dad went to have his PhD in Norway, it is, you know, wherever you live, try to live in that place. So I love mm -hmm. Italian food, but not necessarily go after Italian food when I am in Mexico, you know, and I love the, you know, the Brazilian music, but not necessarily I go to the Brazilian music when I am in the US. And, uh, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I love them all. In a heartbeat, I would go back to any of those places, you know, and, and live there again, um, because there are amazing countries across the world. Now, I must say, I'm, I'm disappointed in your answer, Marina. I was expecting <laughs> you to say, of course, Belgium was the best country to ever live in. So <laughs> let's, let's, okay. I, we can but I must it. say, let's though, I, I, I can have the, the Belgian chocolate and the Belgian beer anytime I want. So I always have a little bit of Belgian with me. <laughs> Now you, you're very successful, uh, um, and, and if you look back at your private life, uh, professional life, what was the best thing that ever happened to you? What was the thing that you're most grateful for? In my life? Yes. Oh, a million things, but my children, no doubt. <laughs> mm -hmm. They are the blessing of my life. Okay. And of course, we, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good things that happen to us, but also bad things happen to us. 
So would you care to share what was maybe one of the worst things that have happened to you? And, and what did you learn from it? How did you grow as a, as a human being from that? Ooh, I mean, we all have many tough things uh, in mm -hmm. life. What is the worst? I don't think I ever had anything horrible um, happening to me. Um, but maybe because I shared a lot, a lot uh, you know, personally, professionally, um, I, I, I must say, you know, arriving in Belgium was a big, big challenge. And mm -hmm. so I, I come from many years working in Latin America and I think a, a successful few years working there. And um, I get to, to Europe and, uh, you know, kind of they, they bring you here, you know, to, to, to bring change and to help transform uh, Interbrew and InBev. And I think uh, I learned by the first uh, several months, if not first year, not being able to do much because you're trying to take, you know, old recipe and put in a new place. And uh, I think going through this learning process of, you know, again, remember what you know, but remember what you don't know, put those two things mm -hmm. together and the best is going to come out. So it was not easy not to be able to drive change in the first year as much as the organization expected. But then learning <laughs> that, uh, you know, you can be very experienced or not. Again, you're always going to bring some knowledge to the table. Uh, but uh, put yourself, you know, always surrounded by, by great people. But um, people that are going to know what you don't know and you're going to learn in that process. So I, I take that with me for every place I go ever since. And I, I do think that we did amazing things uh, when I was in, in Western Europe out of, of Belgium and the business really, really, you know, um, transformed it beautifully. Um, going back to growth and, uh, you know, going, going back to, to, you know, a level of pride that I think was, was missing at that time that you were in a declining industry. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, was not a good process to be <laughs> trying to make change and not being able to for a while and, and eventually finding, finding a solution. In your life, what is it that you love most and what is it that you fear most? I love life. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love people. Uh, I'm a happy person. What do I fear? Um, I, I fear not, not being able to have people around me, uh, you know, happy. Um, because that, that I, I, I mean, I can see that, but then I need to work it out and sort it out. If I can't, then then... What are we here for? Absolutely, I agree on that, Marina. So thank you already for your time and all the inspiration that you put into this, uh, in, in this interview. Uh, I would like to finish with, um, with the next question, and that is always, what is the advice that you would give to ambitious future digital leaders that one day want to be in your shoes and be the, the CIO of a, of, a, of a big company like uh, BAT? Hmm. It's a good one. Uh, I think, you know, be curious, really, really, you know, every day, every week, every month, learn new stuff. And, you know, some of that you're going to do nothing with it, but <laughs> some you will. So I think this idea of always learning more, but learning not alone, learning with people, bringing the team, your colleagues together with you from those learnings to have amazing results, business results. We are, we are not here. For the technology, I always say, you know, I don't love technology. I love what we can do with technology. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's what people have to have in mind. Sometimes an old piece of technology can do wonders. Sometimes a new piece of technology do nothing. So just be curious on what can be done with digital and do that together with groups of people because then you can have a big impact. And on that note, Marina, thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you for sharing your uh, your experiences, your uh, vision on, uh, on on running the business, on running IT. It was really a pleasure, and I hope to meet you in London very very soon. Thank you so much, Hendrik. It was a pleasure. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. See you soon. Bye bye.